Well, good morning, everyone. We have the opportunity this morning to look at a passage of Scripture that I think is very familiar to us in one respect, but we are currently in the midst of what is one of my favorite times of the year. I still love Christmas. I love the holiday. I've been putting up Christmas lights around our house. One of the things I pulled out were some decorations for the yard that my dad had made when I was a little kid that we've kept all these years. And so I was putting those up yesterday. And it just reminded me I've always loved Christmas. And it reminded me a lot of my childhood. And I can tell you we always were in church as a part of Christmas and Christmas Eve services But the reality is, for me as a kid, Christmas was primarily about one thing, presents. That was it. I mean, I knew that Jesus and all those things, and we did this little nativity thing at our church, and and you had a candle on Christmas Eve, but the reality was Christmas was a lot of fun because of presents. I loved it. Um, Well, I'm going to be 49, and it hasn't quite stopped yet, so... But I do love the holidays. I love the TV shows. I love all of those things. I think I recorded it last night. I saw It's a Wonderful Life was going to be on TV, one of the great movies of of all times. And yet, as we come into the Christmas season, particularly for us who are serious about the Lord, we love the Lord, we are the church that is serious about the Word of God, it's easy to get distracted still. I love all of the things that accompany Christmas, and yet I understand intellectually and spiritually and in my heart that the most important thing aren't all those fun things. The most important thing is that it's a reminder on the church calendar of what happened when Jesus Christ came to the earth. And so as we are preparing tonight for our Christmas production and as we are preparing for the season and most of us have put up Christmas trees or are doing so in decorations, I thought it would be good this morning since I was away this week and was not able to to get started on Hebrews, I thought, well, I'll go back to something that I've dealt with before and we're going to look in the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, and we're going to look at an account of Jesus' birth in chapter 1. It's an account that is very familiar to us, but I'm hoping by going through this this morning, it will remind us and prepare our hearts to focus on the correct things. These are just some reminders for us from Scripture, I think, of what should go through our minds as we enter the Christmas season. As we see all that's going around us, what are some things we can think of that will help us stay focused on the true meaning of Christmas? So I'm going to read a section of Scripture beginning at verse 18, continuing through verse 25. And you can follow along in your Bibles as I read from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. 
But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Again, from this familiar text, I just want to encourage my own heart and encourage your heart and so I've broken it down into three reminders I taught through this several years ago if you take notes in your Bible you may see these but it's good for us periodically to come back and refocus so these are three things to remember this Christmas season to keep a proper focus on Christ and the first is very simple and it may not jump out from the text but I think you'll see it and when I say it you'll understand it Remember the power of God. Remember the power of God. The birth of Jesus was, of course, a supernatural event. It was unlike any birth in the history of the billions and billions of people who have been born on the earth. And it was different than any birth that ever was or ever will be. In and of itself, the birth of Jesus Christ is a miracle that shows the power of God. And verse 18 makes this clear. It says, before they came together, Mary and Joseph were betrothed. And yet, she had never had sexual relations with her husband, and she became pregnant. And it was the power of God that enabled that in pregnancy. She was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Now, this isn't some kind of perverse circumstance like in pagan mythology where a god mated with a woman. That's not it at all. This is a situation where God and his power by his designs for his purposes brought about a supernatural event. Babies, of course, are not normally born this way. No baby has ever been born this way. Yet this was not a fairy tale. This was not a made-up event. This isn't just some explanation after the fact to create some kind of persona around a regular person. This is the account of the birth of the God-man. And God was able to step into history and overrule biology and all the normal processes set up of the natural world. And he was able to allow someone who had never had sexual relations to become Pregnant with an actual child. It's important for us to always remember God is not limited by the natural universe. I mean, God created the universe. The laws of nature are God's laws. He can overrule them and override them at any time. It's interesting. I've talked to unbelievers, unbelievers that I'm very close to, who can't get past this beginning point. The virgin birth just stops them in their tracks because they're so wrapped up in modern science and a scientific explanation of everything that they can't get past it. 
And yet we understand from the Word of God, which we can understand by the Spirit of God, that God's not bound by the normal rules. Luke chapter 1 gives additional information. You don't necessarily have to turn there, but if you were to look in Luke chapter 1, beginning around verse 26 to 38, there's a parallel account of the birth of Jesus Christ, and it has a little bit of additional illumination of the specifics of what transpired. But in that context, as the angel Gabriel was talking to Mary, Mary even acknowledged the obvious. Gabriel told Mary in verse 31, You'll conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Verse 34, she said, How can this be, since I'm a virgin? In other words, this can't happen. Yet Gabriel made it clear the power of God was going to intervene. In verse 35, he says this, The angel answered and said to her, and this is in Luke chapter 1, The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. The angel referenced the fact that John the Baptist's birth, although it was not supernatural in this way, it was something that was overruling nature because his mother was barren. But in verse 37, the angel says, For nothing will be impossible with God. That's an important thing for us to remember in the current world that we live in. Even this week, another horrific tragedy that seems to have been motivated by terrorism. Can't imagine going to a Christmas party at work and then all of a sudden chaos breaks down and people aren't going to celebrate the holidays this year. Fourteen people murdered. Countless others wounded. In London, people were stabbed in a subway. In countries around the world, chaos reigns. And if we're not careful, we can look around and say, things are out of control and there's no hope. Now, I have shared many times, I don't expect hope to come from our current political system. I think it's going to get worse. But that doesn't mean that I've given up hope in God. God is still going to bring about his purposes. And as his children, we can always take comfort in the fact that no matter how things look, nothing is impossible with God. It's a good thing to remember at Christmas time. I, I always think it's interesting that the holidays are a time when Americans experience the most severe depression. And I can understand a certain amount of sadness, for example, when I think about the fact that my, you know, I put up a yard ornament thinking about my daddy. Now, he's been dead since 1984. It still makes me sad to think about what was. So I understand that type of sadness. But for a Christian, if we're not careful, that thinking can get out of control. And we can begin to think, well, things are stacked against us and maybe we don't have hope and boy, everybody's against the Christians. We should never have that mindset, even though it's true. The world is against us. God is more powerful than any of that and Christmas should be a reminder of the power of God. As believers, that's our hope. That's our comfort. The president's going to address the nation tonight, and I don't know what he's going to say. And it's embarrassing to me that I have such a bad attitude towards our president because that's not biblical. Biblically, I'm supposed to pray for him, and I don't. He makes me mad, but I, he doesn't engender my compassion, and I should be 
compassionate about his lostness. But we're not going to find hope in his words. And it's not because he's the president. You put anybody else that you think would be a better president in office, we still don't find our hope there. We find our hope in the power of God. I think it's interesting also, though, as we come into this season and we'll share and carry burdens in our hearts we won't necessarily share with other people, we see the power of God on display in God intervening in the life of Joseph. Back in Matthew chapter 1, it said Mary had been betrothed to Joseph and they hadn't had sexual relations and Mary was found to be pregnant. Verse 19, it says this, And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. Now, during this time, a betrothal was something different than an engagement in our current culture. An engagement in our culture is not binding. You share a ring, and it's a nice thing, but you can get out of it. It's not legally binding. Every once in a while, somebody will sue for a return of a ring, but that's not an issue of marriage. That's just the issue of the human heart. But at that time, a betrothal was more than just an engagement. It had legal significance. A couple were considered husband and wife, even though during the betrothal period, they were not having sexual relations. They were committed to one another. They were considered a couple. And you couldn't just change your mind. If you wanted to get out of a betrothal, it was a formal process, like a divorce. And you had to have legal grounds to get out of this. So, putting ourselves for a moment in Joseph's circumstances, perhaps however he and Mary met, he was looking forward to the rest of his life with a wife. He was in the betrothal period, had not had sexual relations, and yet all of a sudden his wife was pregnant. I think I know myself, I gloss over this at times, but I can't imagine the devastation he must have felt. We find elsewhere in Scripture that there was a period of time where Mary went to be with Elizabeth, her relative, for three months. I think it's a, an easy enough understanding. She went away for three months and then she came back pregnant. Showing pregnancy, perhaps. It had to be one of the circumstances. Well, she was gone. What happened? Yet he could have exposed her to great humiliation and punishment under the Jewish system. Although the Romans were in charge of things... The punishment in Deuteronomy for adultery of a betrothed woman was death by stoning. But it's interesting. Joseph, no doubt, was hurt, but he didn't want revenge. He didn't want Mary killed. He said he was a righteous man. He was going to put her away quietly. He was going to let her maintain a certain amount of dignity. When the baby was born, her dignity would be gone in that culture. But he wasn't going to try an exact revenge like many of us would have done. But he did think she had been unfaithful and he needed to divorce her. He planned to do this. Meaning he had given it some thought. It probably took him some time to come to grips with it, but as he processed it, he developed a plan and he thought, okay, 
this is the best in a bad situation. I'm going to quietly let her go. And yet God intervened. God sent his messenger, an angel, to stop Joseph from making a mistake. Once again, God used the supernatural power that he possesses and the spiritual forces at his disposal to step in. And God did it because God understands everything, including the thoughts of the heart. No evidence in Scripture that Joseph had shared his plans with anyone, but God knew what he was thinking. And so God sent an angel who explained things to him. If I woke up from the dream that he had, I don't know what my reaction would be. There's a certain sense of relief, and then it has to be also, what? What happened? But he listened to the angel of the Lord. The angel said, don't be afraid. There's not been infidelity. This is an act of God. This is the power of God bringing about a pregnancy. And so Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. They didn't have sexual relations until after Jesus was born. But Joseph even followed through and called his name Jesus. Again, it's a reminder to me, not only of the power of God in terms of being able to bring about a supernatural birth, but just the power of God in understanding the human heart. There are a lot of things that go on in our life that we don't share with anybody. Sometimes we shouldn't share them with anybody. Thought goes through our mind and we should confess it and be done with it. It's not profitable to share it. And then sometimes we're struggling with things and we don't know whether to say something or whether not to say something and we struggle. And then other times we just don't even know what to say. It should encourage us that in all of those circumstances, God knows what's going on. No matter what the struggle of our heart, God knows and God can orchestrate everything around us to deal even with the issues we haven't spoken to anyone else. How many times have you prayed in your heart or even just pondered things in your heart and then all of a sudden the Lord does something you didn't even understand or expect that resolves everything? God did that for Joseph. God still does that for us today. So the first thing to remember from this is the power of God. Remember that God is powerful. Nothing's impossible with God. Second, as we are in the Christmas season and all the things swirling around us, remember the holiness of God. Remember the holiness of God. For whatever reason, I think we think about the holiness of God more at Easter than at Christmas because the death of Christ is front and center and His resurrection. But there wouldn't be a Christmas without the holiness of God. We understand from Scripture God is pure and sinless. He's entirely good. He's perfectly good. There's not a trace or hint of evil in God at all. He does nothing wrong. Every decision he makes is perfect. And I don't doubt when we get to heaven at some point for all eternity while we're there, we'll be echoing what the angels of heaven say, for example, in Revelation 4.8. Holy, holy, holy 
is the Lord God, the Almighty. So how does this tie in to what's going on in Matthew? It all comes into what was said about the naming of this child brought about by the power of God. Verse 21 addresses the holiness of God, even if it doesn't jump out at you at first. It's the angel of God talking to Joseph. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The word holy is not in there, and yet the holiness of God is the reason for that verse, the reason that it's on display. This is important for us to remember, particularly when we really, 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 really wish God would change our society. Where we really, really, really wish we had different political leadership. Perhaps we wish we had different local leaders and different national leaders and different congressmen and different senators and different judges. We wish that there was a different way of fighting the war on terror and we wish we used our military differently and we have all these different things that if we were in charge and God was listening to us we'd straighten everything out. You know the people at the time of Christ the Jewish people, God's chosen people lived in a much more horrific circumstance than us. They were under the thumb of the Romans. They knew from Scripture they were God's people, but their lives were under the authority of wicked pagan rulers. There were not good political circumstances for them. They had no control over their lives. What you see throughout the Gospels as you read about Jesus interacting after he had come is everyone wanted Jesus to fix the political system. To fix the government system. To ride in as an army and get rid of those battle Romans. Perhaps just like us, everybody thought that the world around them, the world outside of their community was the problem. If only the government was different. If only I had more freedom. If only I had more money. If only I had... And yet Jesus didn't come to deal with those issues. He didn't come to free them from the Romans. He didn't come to save them from an earthquake or from a fire or from a volcano. Jesus was born. God sent his son into the earth for a purpose to save his people from their sins. Particularly at Christmas time, it's a good reminder to us that the biggest problem in the world is not all those other issues. It's not terrorism. It's not economics. The biggest problem in the world is sin against a holy God. Sin that separates us from God. I don't think there's any small children in here that I can see. So we, and I'm not criticizing anyone else, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm using this to illustrate a point. 
I'm, I'm catching myself because I don't have this in my notes. So it's an illustration that occurred to me, and that's always dangerous when you start wandering into those things. We live in a society that thinks God is Santa Claus. So we think about the songs we sing. Santa Claus is coming to town. It's always a great one. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. That's how people think of God. It really is. We live in a world where people think, if I'm good, God will give me something. If I'm bad, I get a lump of coal. Now, we purposefully chose not to do Santa Claus in our house. We tried to encourage our kids not to be the Grinches that destroyed every other kid's Christmas. But it was important to me that they never confuse proper theology. Because I knew their entire life was going to be fighting against Santa Claus theology. Even now, if we're not careful, we think of God in terms of what he can do for us as opposed to what he's done for us, which is dealing with our sin. We couldn't get rid of our sin ourselves. We couldn't be good enough. That's the part of the distortion of Santa Claus, you know, just get really good that week before Christmas, and he always came. It's amazing. I figured that out as a kid. It's like, this is really good. Man, I was an obedient child for two weeks. Whatever it took to make sure that the goods were under the tree. If we're honest, a lot of people think about God that way. They don't think in terms of a holy God, that we're sinners. They just think, hey, if I do enough, I'm better than some of those other people, and so I'll get rewarded. The Bible paints a different picture. Unclean sinners, which defines everyone in the human race, don't get into heaven on their own. You can't be good enough. You can't get rid of sin yourselves. We're all hopelessly stuck. We can't wash off sin with soap and water, and no one else can either. We can't run away from it. We can't pretend it doesn't exist. And even though Christmas is a joyous time and a celebratory time, and it should be, we can't neglect to think about God's holiness at Christmas because that's the reason Christmas exists. Every one of us here understands that. God says, don't lie, we've lied. God says, don't covet, we've coveted. On and on it goes. Honor your father and mother. We've had times where we didn't honor our father and mother. Don't gossip, we gossip. There's no end to man's sin. It permeates human lives. It permeates our lives, unfortunately. And if human beings die still covered in their sin without some way of dealing with their sin issue, there's only one result. A holy God is not going to allow sin in his presence. The prophet Isaiah, certain pictures in the Bible are very good. Prophet Isaiah, woe is me, for I am ruined. That would be the reaction of every person standing before a holy God but for Christmas. Because God sent his son not to save his people from bad government or to save his people from terrorism or to save his people from economic ruin, but to save his people from their sins. It's hard to think about sin at Christmas because that's the happy time. 
And yet we should be reminded of God's holiness, which can't help but make us think about sin. Part of the problem with American Christianity is that so much of what God is has become about what God can do for you. You want to be a better employee? Go to God. You want to have a better marriage? Go to God. You want better things? Go to God. You want to be more fulfilled? Go to God. You want to be happier? Go to God. Can God do all those things? Of course he can. But that wasn't why Jesus came to the earth. If you ever watch infomercials, there's a million people that will tell you how to have a better life. No, Jesus came to deal with the only issue that really matters. To provide a way for sinful man to be in the presence of holy God. Even if we don't always think of God's holiness, we should be reminded of that and we should thank God every day of the Christmas season that he saved us. That he made a way for sinners like us to stand in his presence. I will enjoy all the other things about Christmas. I'll enjoy our Christmas musical tonight. But an undercurrent through it all should be God's holiness. And it should be a reminder to us of the need to proclaim his holiness even at Christmas. Let me quickly get to the last point. Remember the power of God. Remember the holiness of God. And finally, remember the mercy of God. Every time we say Merry Christmas, it should engender in our minds the mercy of God. In fact, the only reason we can say Merry Christmas is because of God's mercy. Because the power of God and the holiness of God are terrifying apart from the mercy of God. If God was only powerful and if God was only holy, we'd all be undone, period. There'd be no hope. But God didn't leave his children to lie in the gutter, helpless and filthy, covered in our sins. John 3.16 is really an explanation of everything. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's Merry Christmas for Christians. God had mercy on us when he sent his son to be born as a baby. And Matthew makes it clear this was God's plan for all eternity. Verse 22 makes it clear that all that was occurring was fulfilling a prophecy. Prophecy spoken centuries before. Verse 23 is that prophecy. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. God had a plan to show his mercy long before the baby Jesus was ever born. God had what we call Christmas in mind long before Mary and Joseph were even a thought in anyone's mind. God knew that only he could deal with sin. God knew that unless he came to make a way, there would be no way. 
God knew that only His Son, Jesus Christ, the God-man, could die a sacrificial death that could truly pay the penalty for sins. That's what we've been studying in Hebrews for years. The blood of bulls and goats can't take away sin, period. Only Jesus could die that atoning death. Only Jesus could take the punishment we deserved. Titus 3, 4, and 5 expresses it this way, this transaction of salvation. Verse 4, But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. This is where Santa Claus theology has to be completely discarded. It wasn't because you were good enough. It wasn't because God was watching and you did enough good things to get your stocking full of goodies. It was only because God had mercy on sinners. Let me encourage you to really reflect on this. We have to remember at Christmas time, for all the celebration and the joy and the lights and the fun, God still doesn't tolerate sin. God still doesn't overlook sin. But if you repent of your sins and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that He died on the cross to pay the penalty of sins for all those who would ever believe and that He rose from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. I know I celebrated Christmas years and years and years knowing about Jesus, knowing about the facts before I was actually born again. I would pray for your families that you could share the gospel with them. I pray that you'd examine your own heart to make sure that you're celebrating for the right reason. Jesus Christ came into the world as a baby to save sinners. And it was all an act of God's mercy. Which truly makes a Merry Christmas. Let me encourage you. Enjoy Christmas. Have a lot of fun. Come back tonight. It's going to be a great Christmas program. Enjoy all of the celebrations. But every time you see something that reminds you of Christmas, thank God. Thank God for his power and for his holiness and for his mercy. Let me close this in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege we have of knowing you. Lord, this Christmas season, I know my own heart already gets pulled in different directions. I pray for each one of us that you would help us focus on you. That you would direct our hearts constantly to your power and holiness and mercy as shown in the event whereby you sent your son to the earth as a baby. Lord, help us remember the gospel throughout this Christmas season and help us experience the joys of Christmas with grateful hearts. We ask all of these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.